The battle of Britain is about to begin. Pursuit Podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about a Kickstarter product that I just found. Now, normally I like to think of myself as someone who's in touch with the industry, paying attention to what's going on in social media, and I think I'd seen a post or two about it, but let me be honest. When I realized there was another game coming out, 8th Air Force and 20th Air Force, that was going to cover the strategic air war side of the bombing campaigns, I was a little surprised. And what did I do? Well, you know, being the sucker that I am, I jumped straight over to Kickstarter and started taking a look at it. I'll let you guys know I've gone ahead and backed it. But tonight we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk to Robert Faneff, the creator of Fortress Games, the guys behind this game uh, for 8th Air Force and 20th Air Force. And we're going to talk to him about what's going on with the Kickstarter, what was the inception of the game, and what's his background. Bob, good to have you on tonight. Thanks, Doug. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Brett, we know we've got you out there. We'll talk to you in a little bit uh, when we actually want to hear your opinion, but that's okay. We'll just uh, skip over you for a bit. Bob, give us a little bit about your gaming background. How did you end up getting into wargaming? Were you uh, were you started on it as a child or did you come to it later in life? No, I'll tell you, I was early. I got hooked pretty early. I, I, I guess I was around 10 years old when I played that game, Creekspiel. Do you remember that game, Creekspiel? <laughs> Thankfully, I actually never played it, but that's all right. Yes, I know, exa- I know exactly what you're talking about. So you're younger than me. I got it. Uh, we, yeah, we, I got hooked on that game, Creekspiel. I thought it was great. And then my, my best friend and I actually discovered Panzer Blitz. And that one, I'm sure Absolutely. you, you oh, know yeah. well. And, and that I really got hooked on. So the first game I designed, actually, I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old, and I I, uh, I loved Panzer Blitz so much, I designed this tactical game of island hopping in the Pacific with scenarios for Saipan and, and Peleliu and Okinawa. And uh, it, was, it was cut out of uh, corrugated cardboard and the, and the faces were taped on. And uh, it was a lot of fun to make. It was a terrible game, but, but it was my first <laughs> foray into, uh, into gaming. And, and you know, just, I've, I've loved war games uh, ever since. I got really hooked on Third Reich. Um, and it got a, we had a big circle of, of folks who loved to play it. And, um, and then you it must have also been very patient individuals to actually play through that game. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long game. You got to have someone's, somebody's parent had to let you set up the game on their dining room table. So you it could yeah. sit there for a few days. You're absolutely <laughs> <Exactly>. right. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then finally, when I got to, I was still doing it when I got to college and I was designing games in college. Um, two of them were just big, big, big hits. Uh, a, a brigade level game about uh, the Vietnam War and, a, and and when I was in college, the war in El Salvador was a was a very contentious issue in the United States. And I designed a game about the war in El Salvador, and that one in particular um, sat in the common area of my dorm of my dorm floor and was always being played by you know everyone between classes and the, at night. And we actually considered me and a group of my college friends considered whether we might form a game publishing company and start with those two games. But you know back then. Before the age of the internet, those the, getting something like that done was very, very difficult. 
Very different. Oh, yeah. Well, and it was also kind of a mystic art. You didn't know where it came from. You know that you either got this mail order catalog from like Avalon Hill that had all these amazing things you could order out of it that uh, sometimes you bought just based on the title. Or, you know, if you're lucky like me, your parents owned a game store. They had a book and game store. So I kind of was started as an addict early and you got to walk in and you go, ooh, that looks like the cool new game. Um, but you never really had game designers talking a whole lot unless you went to conventions and there certainly was no internet forums to go on at that point and say, how the heck do I design a game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and the other, you know, the, the more boring legal aspects of it would have been tremendously difficult. Like, you know, copywriting the games and trademarking the company, all that were very easy for me to do today. 30, 40 years ago, I wouldn't even known, I wouldn't have known where to start. I guess I would have gone to the library or something to try to figure it out, but it, it would. <laughs> what, what did we all do before legal Zoom? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we sat around dorm rooms talking about getting this game publishing company started and we just decided the logistics were too overwhelming. So, so we, uh, we went into regular careers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a horrible compromise, but, but I can understand. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. So, so as you, as you had started with board games, it sounds like you pretty much were in traditional war gaming. Uh, or at least I say traditional because to me, traditional is, you know, hard map boards, counter-based, uh, things like that. Did you ever branch out from there? Did you spend as much time with role-playing games or did you stay as pretty much a, a hardcore, uh, board war gamer your, your whole time? Pretty much a board war gamer. In fact, even now my game, the, the games that I play on online tend to be, um, the ones from steam, you know, the, the board games that essentially translate to steam games, which, which there's a lot of, you know, a lot of fun ones out there too. But I, I, I do like that. I do like that, um, you know, that strategic level game where you, where you're, you know, commanding uh, forces and trying to achieve an outcome, as opposed to say a fir- first or third person shooter and things like that, right? Or, or role playing like Dungeons and Dragons and type role playing things like like that. I kind of like the the um, command a, a, a set of historical forces and achieve an out uh, an outcome in a campaign or a war. So, so thinking about that with that level of game we talked about third reich a little bit and and for those who have never even unboxed third reich i recommend you go out to youtube and look for a third reich unboxing and you'll understand we talk about the complexity of this because i think uh it by itself had more counters than maybe three other war games combined uh and then you obviously combined <laughs> all the maps and all the all the information all the information you had to track um what were some of the other big strategic level games that, that kind of have influenced and inspired you, either good or bad? I mean, what what were some of the ones you played and you're like, wow, I'm never going to do it that way? Yeah, yeah. It's good, good, good question. Because obviously, as you might guess, Luftwaffe, the game, the Avalon Hill 1977 game Luftwaffe had an, an influence on me because I- <laughs> Love it or hate it. <laughs> love it or hate it. Exactly. And, I, and there were things about it I loved. First of all, right. I think the, the strategic bombing campaign of Germany is a is an incredible- incredibly rich territory for a game. Uh, but there's things about it I hate it. I mean, drawing up, I don't know if you remember, you had to actually write up the missions on a pad of paper before each yeah. turn and then execute <laughs> I, them. I had by. forgotten about that. Those are the things I've, I've put out of my mind. <laughs> not right, to remember. Right. <laughs> right. So, so that, so that game had its, you know, I just loved the, the subject matter, but, but didn't like how it was done. And I always thought it could be done better. Um, you know, I like the. Uh, I think solitaire games are, are are interesting games, which is why the first two I'm I'm publishing are solitaire games. Because even avid war gamers like all of us, you still play solitaire games. You find yourself, you know, setting up a game at eleven o'clock at night and playing it. And 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 as opposed to making compromises in a multiplayer game to make it work like solitaire, having a game that actually is a real solitaire game designed for solitaire, um, I think is a more more pleasurable experience. 
I thought I think the victory point games, the state of siege series, are are, are good examples of of fun solitaire games. Uh, Empires in America and uh, Zulus on the Ramparts are two two particular ones that I liked. If, if for no other reason than it proved they could take that concept, the states of siege game concept, which I think is a good one, and make it into a strategic campaign, Empires in America, which is the entire French and Indian War, and Zulus on the Ramparts, which is the 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 the, the Battle of Works works drift a, a small small tactical and relatively small tactical engagement so the, the concept worked worked well for both so that's a good series I'll, I'll give you an example of a game that should have been you know maybe it was just done too early but you recall the Avalon Hill game d-day I thought that was right. a, a <laughs> an incredibly interesting game or an incredibly interesting concept the the order of battle was meticulously researched but the game was incredibly dull right it's reinforced move combat, reinforce, move combat, and it really didn't have much chrome to it, if you will. So it almost felt like tactics two, but taken to a different level of detail. It that's was, exactly uh, right. Very, exactly very right. pedantic. Pedantic is the word I would have used for it. And and to be honest, I, I think I, I was just looking on here on Board Game Geek to see if I'd even logged a play of it because it had been so many years ago that I even saw it. Right, right. Even even when I was a kid playing, I thought, boy, there should be more the term we use is Chrome, right? In this in this in this industry, but there just should be a little more Chrome to this game. I'll tell you two games that wouldn't fit on on the list we're talking about, but are incredibly influential in the way I approach game design: um, Monopoly and Risk. So, two games. Obviously, we're not going to talk about tonight, but I, I just want to <laughs> convey the, what I think is fascinating about the process behind it. Both of those, if you think about it, are two games in one, and that's what gets people hooked, right? Monopoly, the first part of the game, is just running around the the track trying to uh, purchase properties, right? It's, that's your. That's all you're doing is running around the track trying to produce pro- to right. secure properties. Eventually, you have a bunch of properties that make sense. And then the second part of the game, which is completely different from the first part, is you're building houses and hotels and trying to bankrupt your opponents. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing because that hook gets in you when you play the first part because you know that second part's coming. Same thing with Risk, right? We've all played Risk, especially in in, in college, right, with our college buddies, played Risk. Well, same thing. The first part of the game, you're just trying to figure out where you're going to consolidate yourself and, and get a continent or two. So then you can build up the gigantic armies the continents get you and wipe out your opponents. Well, those games that sink those hooks into you, I love that. I love that. That, that sink that hook and get you in and then give you something at the end that's really exciting and, and maybe a little bit different than what you started out with. And that's what I try to do in my games and what I've tried to do in these two games. You'll see, being a uh, slightly younger than you, maybe, I don't know, probably not, uh, guy, I always think of supremacy. And I think of, you know, supremacy as risk on steroids and how much fun that was to uh-huh. play um, because you get a, a room of people around the table. And there was, to me, there was more, more chrome than risk, but you really had the option of how much you let it get in the way. And I don't know, I always enjoyed it. I thought that was a, a fun game that started with a very basic uh, economic and, and supplies model and then got. Obviously, it was you and everyone else negotiating under the table right. as to as to how things would happen, and then somebody would nuke everybody else, and you know that was the <laughs> game. But, uh, <laughs> but it was always yep, fun. Yep. Well, so from those games, you know, what led you to say, "Let me do something about Eighth Air Force," or while we're at it, "Hey, let me do Eighth Air Force and Twentieth Air Force." You know, let me let me cover two major bombing campaigns here. What? How'd you end up there instead of saying, "Let me bite off something smaller and 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 build a smaller air campaign game." Yeah, yeah. Um, well, like like most, I, I suspect if you talk to game designers, it's almost always the same. There's an idea that's 
brewing and brewing and brewing and you can't quite bring it to fruition. And all of a sudden, there's a moment of epiphany where you realize exactly how to pull it together. And that's how it was for me. It was the 8th Air Force first. I've, I've, I've been literally for years trying to come up with a way to make a great game about the strategic bombing campaign uh, against Germany and, and never could quite figure out what the right, the right angle was to get it to really work and really be an awesome game. And then it, it suddenly hit me how, how, how to make that work. And, you know, I look at these air campaigns um, as, as very much like a, like when you're, when you're, when you're commanding an air campaign in a game, either of these two games, it's very much like being the coach of a football team. It's just like football. You, you, you see the field where it's at, you plan your next play, in this case, the missions you're going to fly. Then you're out of control. You let it rip and the missions do whatever you're going to do. Hopefully they're successful, um, but you have to wait until they're done. And when they're all done, you sit back and do it all over again. You look at the situation and say, what did I change? Did I advance down the field? Um, is it time for a running play or do I got to go for the Hail Mary? And I, I think we came up with a system in, in 8th Air Force and 20th Air Force that really captured that, that mood. You're really, you're really, you've set up these missions and then you're, you're just sitting back watching them go and hoping that they accomplish what you, what you wanted to accomplish and then building on it from there. And, and the 8th Air Force game was the first one I, I designed. And as I was putting it together, um, I kept thinking about uh, what an ignored topic the 20th Air Force campaign in the Pacific was. I mean, I don't think, first of all, I don't think there's been a strategic air bombing campaign game about the campaign against Germany since Luftwaffe in 1977. There's a lot of tactical ones like, you know, Interceptor Ace and others that are very good games. Yeah, the Interceptor all, series, is, there's yeah, a lot of little All little tactical and, and single but nothing, plane. Um, yeah, but of the, especially exactly. the 20th Air Force, I'm sure there's never been a game about the strategic air bombing campaign of, of Japan. So uh, I thought these concepts... And, and the way we designed them worked real well for these two two campaigns. And uh, and 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 when we put them together and play tested them, frankly, they were, uh, you know, I guess I guess I can I can I can blow my own horn here because that's why we're here is to talk about the game. They came out much better than than frankly even I expected. I was thrilled with how the concepts got that, executed. That's awesome. You know, and I th- was going back and looking. And I, I laugh that I have now become that person that runs Board Game Geek while I'm doing the podcast uh, because there's so many things like, man, I remember those, but those brain cells were a lot of tequila ago. Yep. <laughs> and so like having to go look up D-Day and as soon as I saw the cover of D-Day, I'm like, okay, I remember playing this. You know, look through all the parts uh, and then digging through and, and remembering some of the old Pacific overarching Pacific strategic war games. And you're right, because they didn't break out the air war separately. I mean, yeah, you had counters for aircraft. You you bombed air bases. You, you did interdiction missions. But um, it, it was just funny because nothing really compartmentalized out just the air war. And I always wonder if that's some of our historical misunderstanding that we didn't really necessarily think about it as a as a complex series of targets to be hit because everything gets overshadowed by the atomic bomb at the end. But there's, there's decision-making that has to be done throughout the entire air campaign against Japan about, okay, am I hitting specific military targets or am I focusing on industrial or infrastructure? Um, and the, the kind of things that all go into a strategic bombing campaign. Absolutely. All, all, all the while building towards that um, eventually, hopefully you'll have the atomic bomb. And the way I built it into the game is, um, is, Research is, is abstracted through having to hit um, mile, milestones and goals in order to move your atomic bomb research forward. So if you're failing, and 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 it's and that's somewhat based on, admittedly, it's an abstraction. But but certainly, if the if the if Curtis LeMay and the 20th Air Force hadn't been able to demonstrate that they could successfully wage 
a, a, a massive campaign, air campaign against Japan, perhaps the atomic bomb research wouldn't have gone where it went and ended up right. uh, in, in the form right. of a bomb on, on Tinian. So you have to accomplish things to keep that research going forward. If you're really successful, you might get the bomb a little early. If you're not successful, it might just come in at the last minute. But you're, you're, you've got to finish the game before – you've got to win the game before November 1945 because at that point, um, Operation Olympic is yeah. launched and, and uh, The ground and invasion lost. goes. Yep. And, 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 and you basically have, have failed to do your purpose. You've, that's exactly you've it. set the conditions, but you haven't, you haven't finished the war. That's right. That's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And so let's before we dive into any specific game mechanics discussion, uh, so tell us tell us about the research a little bit because that's it's one of the funny things for me coming from an aviation or military aviation background. There's things that I think of that are that are innate knowledge to me. And Brett, same way, you know, being a ranger, there's there's certain things we just know based on our careers that that are kind of funny that we go. Why did anyone have to look that up? How did you not know that's how it's done? Uh, what were some of the surprising things you ran across in your research that that kind of opened your eyes to strategic bombing or to uh, little known facets of, of both the campaigns? Well, one of the things uh, one of the things I, I, I learned that I that I uh, hadn't certainly hadn't expected when I started the games was that the um, one of the the, one of the, the uh, challenges that both Curtis LeMay and, and James Doolittle, who commanded the uh, uh, the Eighth Air Force, Curtis LeMay commanded the Twentieth Air Force in the Pacific. One of the challenges they both faced and uh, was was the constant siphoning off of their forces um, to 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 uh, complete these peripheral sort of bombing campaign missions. For example, um, when the air war started against Germany, one of the first things that the, uh, the Air Force had to do was attack the, the German submarine pens and, at Lorient and, and Brest and, and uh, along the, the, the French coast because the Battle of the Atlantic was rage, raging at the beginning of 1943. So the last thing at the time, the, the commander was Ira Eker. The last thing uh, General Eker wanted to do was, was, was take forces away from what he considered the most important thing, which is bombing German industry, and use them to bomb sub bases. And then uh, river crossings in Western France and across across the uh, the Seine and the the Somme and the Loire, you know, th- these were big distractions. And Curtis LeMay also he 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 was very uh, upset at being distract, having to take his bomber groups, his his incredibly valuable bomber groups, and use them to attack uh, kamikaze bases during the Okinawa campaign. Um, in fact, he he had to use groups to conduct a mining campaign. There was a a, a massive Sea Lane mining campaign that took place by the 20th Air Force against Japan that most people don't even realize happened. Initially, Curtis LeMay's reaction was he didn't want it to have anything to do with it. By the end of the war, he realized, it, or, or early on even, he realized how valuable it was and what a service it was doing and then supported it. But these were big distractions to them. They, these guys both, Doolittle and LeMay, wanted to bomb the hell out of enemy cities. That's how they looked at their jobs. And by enemy cities, I mean hit the industries or in some cases actually just firebomb the cities. But but they saw that as their primary, primary mission. So, so the distractions of the bombing campaigns were an interesting find, and I built them into the game um, as, as, a, as sort of the first thing you have to think of before you get to choose your, your targets of choice is you've got bombing campaigns that you've got to, you're required by higher-ups to, to accomplish some level of success at. It won't I consume all your was- resources. I was kind of laughing because I'd, I'd missed it when I was going through the Kickstarter, but talking about the mining missions and everything right there, and I'm just laughing. I'm like, yep, you do. You have to do whole shallow coast uh, mining missions. So, <laughs> damn it. 
<laughs> right, right. And then, uh, and then another interesting thing about the research was, um, again, this, the, the day and age we live on live in is a wonderful thing for a game designer because you can find things quickly. You have to obviously be careful of your sources, but you can find things quickly. The funny thing was, it oh, was come on, Wikipedia is the perfect source for <laughs> everything, right. right? That's right. If you find it on Wikipedia, it's got to be true. If it came from yeah. Google, it has to be true. <laughs> Brett, but how how do we say that these days? How do we preface our Wikipedia? Uh, comment. Sources say. Yeah, sources, sources say. say. <laughs> no one says sources. what the source is. Turns out, turns out it's Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> How sadly true. One thing I'll tell you is the it, it was very difficult, very difficult, as you maybe would guess. Because I, I look at research as two different types. There's one order of battle research, right? That has to be done, has to be done well. In my games, I, they're both at the group level. So I wanted to make sure I got the groups um Right and as well as their date of arrival, uh, uh, so so, um, it, it, but most of it was 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 easy to easy to get done, easy to accomplish, easy to get leads and move forward. Finding Japanese air force order of battle uh, information on World War II is very difficult, very difficult. I eventually, I eventually happened to find one called the Pacific War Online Encyclopedia that was actually a, a wealth of information. In fact, if anybody out there is ever going to design a game, it has every detail on, on Army, Navy, uh, Imperial Japanese Army Air Force, um, units and deployments. It's quite a, it's a gigantic uh, collection and it, it was, ended up being very, very useful. But the, um, that was my biggest challenge on the order of battle research. The second part of research, which I think is equally important, so you've got the what, right? What what units? The second part is is how are those units used and why? And that's where there's no way to do that other than spending a lot of time reading books about the campaigns, because that's the only place to get the nuance of what these commanders were doing and why they were doing it. Um, in fact, I have a few books I'd, I'd, I'd recommend, if you don't mind me rattling off very quickly, for anyone who's interested in these campaigns. Go right ahead, <laughs> please. Um, Big Week, a book called Big Week by James Holland, published by uh, Atlantic Monthly Press, is a, is a great resource for really ca capturing the mood of, of, of what the 8th Air Force is going through during those formative um, uh, months from, Schwein from the Schweinfurt bombing in August 43 until Big Week. In uh, in March forty five, what happened in, uh, in between those two weeks? Or so, sorry, February 45, uh, 44, rather. Um, what happened between August of forty three, Schweinfurt, and March and uh, February of, of forty four, big week was is a fascinating study on fighter tactics, um, bombing tactics, the evolution. As I, I suspect, since everybody here isn't based on the on the on the the, the group, everybody here knows something about about air power. The Eighth Air Force initially thought they could simply send in those bombers unescorted, and these B-17s bristling with machine guns would be more than capable of defending themselves. Well, yeah, they learned during last that words. <laughs> exactly. They learned during that period as a fallacy. So, great book for the Japanese campaign. A wonderful book by Barrett Tillman, published by Simon and Schuster, is called Whirlwind, as in he right. who, yeah, yeah, he uh, reaping the whirlwind as Japan did when they when they attacked uh, uh, Pearl Harbor. Great book on the on the on the strategic bombing campaign by the 20th Air Force on uh, on Japan, and then Enola Gay by Gordon Thomas and Max Morgan Witz, published by Open Road Publishing. Um, fantastic book about the uh, evolution of the 
atomic bomb all the way to the uh, to the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, with a lot of additional information about about um, the the base on Tinian and what what that base was like and what life on Tinian was like and and what the rest of the uh, 20th Air Force was doing while the 393rd <laughs> right. Squadron was getting ready to drop atom bombs. So um, yeah, I think that that part of the research is 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 critical. You can get the orders of battle, but but if you don't know what 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 the commanders were trying to do with them and what their objectives were, you you may lose sight. You, you may turn out with a game like D-Day. Yeah. Well, and it's funny as I'm continuing to you know, page through and do some research as we're talking. Uh, it's it's interesting to me that I think people became overwhelmed with the task at hand designing some of these games. Uh, and we talk about why did nobody do strategic bombing campaigns? Because there's a lot that goes into those. And when I really got there and, and refreshed my memory on, on what was covering the Pacific War, it was always individual carrier actions. It was very discrete battles, you know, where you could, if you weren't playing the entire, you know, victory in the Pacific battle, uh, then you were playing something that was a discrete carrier action or surface action um, because then people felt like they could do it justice. You know, I, I think especially before the days of the internet when, when we're having such a hard time doing research because we're with our dusty tomes in a library somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't have access to other people's, other country sources, other people's sources, it made it really difficult. I look at, at some of the games that are out there um, from the time period when I remember playing these games and they're just very, they're either extremely broad, the entire war, or very specific um, individual uh, individual actions out there. So I, th- I think that'll be interesting to see how you did that in Twentieth Air Force, and also you know in Eighth Air Force, taking the the entire um, the entirety of the Eighth Air Force's uh, bombing campaign. Which, oh, good on you there. Let's let's discuss how we turn that into a game mechanic. How did you how did you uh, distill something that was such a broad series of targets, geographical areas, into something enjoyable for a game? Right. So so I th- I th- I think. Um, what makes what makes the uh, the Eighth Air Force um, game and the actual campaign very interesting is that is that as I said, Doolittle and Eaker before him had had to accomplish a lot of things in order to get to to victory. Obviously, the bombing campaigns we've talked about that were somewhat of a distraction of resources. Um, but in addition, uh, Doolittle had to deal with a a massive German aircraft industry. Uh, that was pumping out aircraft far faster than 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 he could hope to destroy them. So part of the bombing, uh, part of the the, the Eighth Air Force's campaign was to make sure those those aircraft factories were destroyed. Well, in the game, you you're going to have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to have uh, have have difficulty facing all of the Luftwaffe opposition you're going to face. But that's not how you're going to win the game. The victory points that you're going to have to accomplish to win the game are accomplished by targeting. Heavy industry targets. Um, uh, so you'll need to hit the oil and the oil facilities and the aircraft factories to reduce the the Luftwaffe's ability to recover and to re- and replace its losses. But at the but they won't win you the game. Ultimately, you're going to have to accomplish enough there that you can then take your bomber groups and start hitting these heavy industry targets. And those are things like Schweinfurt ball bearing factories and other things. But the abstraction was you've got three types of of strategic targets, aircraft factories, oil facilities, and heavy industry. Only heavy industry gives you victory points, but the aircraft factories and the oil facilities reduce the Luftwaffe's ability to replace um, its losses. So you've got that duality going on in your head the whole time. Okay, I'm not getting any victory points because I'm hitting these aircraft factories, but I feel like I have to continue because the Luftwaffe is coming up in big numbers. 
And and then the other thing you have to think about is is um, and and this was this comes through in that in that book I referenced, Big Week, uh, the the evolution of of fighter tactics, where as your forces start building up in 1943 and especially into 1944, your, your objectives become very much to get into air fights with the Luftwaffe. You want your fighters in air fights with Luftwaffe to take that take them off the front end. Your bombers take some fighters off, but not nearly as effectively, obviously, as as giant masses of fighter groups. So, so the way the game the game works there is you, you're just going to have to at the beginning, except you're watching the German victory point level climb and climb, and it's a bit it's a bit terrifying to watch that number going up. But but you know, okay, I've got to keep an eye on that and keep it a little under control. I'm going to have to periodically put a bunch of my bombers together and hit a, a, a target that I'm really not strong enough to hit yet. As the Americans did against uh, Schweinfurt in August '43, they just felt like they had to hit hit that target. Um, but while you're doing that, it's taking away from your ability to knock out the German aircraft factories and oil facilities and things like that. So that's the abstraction I made that makes I think the game exciting. You're eventually going to be able to hit those heavy industry targets. But if you played the game, for example, starting right out of the shoot, concentrating all your bombers on heavy industry targets, you'll lose you'll lose before a third of the game is over. Nice. Understood. Well, are you going to put out a, a kind of a gameplay walkthrough? Do you already have one out there on YouTube so people can kind of uh, understand some of the the core constructs uh, to these games? Yeah. So, so that is um, that is one thing I've 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 learned as a new publisher. I think the next the next games I put out, I'm going to do that. I I didn't do that in this time. Uh, I guess out of out of more ignorance than anything else. And the game, of course, is the Kickstarter campaign is finishing on Monday. And we hope to begin fulfillment very quickly thereafter. I've already all the orders for hundreds of games on the shelves have already been put into the printer and fulfillment center. So I hope to be able to fulfill immediately after the fulfillment date. Um, the one caveat I, I want to give, and I gave it on the Kickstarter site as well, is um, the, the printer. We, we're you know we all operate under the restrictions that we operate under in, in these days of COVID nineteen, and the printer is highly restricted to what they can can do in their state. So I, I still think we're going to hit, hit that, hit that number right on, right on target. He does too, but I, I got to put out that caveat because one never knows what's going to happen from day to day, especially with the in, infections uh, jumping up lately. But um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but well, you know, and, and it's people, uh, hopefully everyone is fairly understanding these days, especially with Kickstarters that uh, there's always unknowns out there that you have to juggle. Um, but I, I think the good thing is at least you've put out what your target date is. Uh, I think it's really optimistic. But hey, you know you're you know everything that you're going to get done, so uh, you've got a handle on that, and I'm, I'm going to trust you on that. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to to get the game in people's hands to to really get people um, putting it out there and, and seeing uh, how the mechanics work out and things. Because it's I, I'll tell you, it's sometimes tough for me to go out and and j- pitch into a Kickstarter uh, when I don't see what those gameplay uh you know videos and things like that are but i'll be honest that's because i'm spoiled because we're now you know kids of the internet we bought games years ago that were boxes and we had no idea that even our friends (laughs) hadn't played yeah (laughs) brett's probably that guy brett's like i got into 40k and no one told me it'd be this much fun (laughs) well i was just thinking what you said about a video you know i don't have the long heritage of board game play like you geeks do right but uh (laughs) <laughs> thanks well, I, I i played a little bit of that uh thunderbolt apache leader and the whole time i felt like man am i doing this right i, I need a proctor or a video tutorial or something maybe so yeah yeah and the good thing is a lot of them are out there and so it's um that you know obviously always something to think of for the next round of things you throw through kickstarter is is get those early copies out so somebody can uh, at least 
uh, walk some of us through the game so I don't have to open it on day one and go, how do I play this again? Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely will. And like I said, lesson, lesson learned. Chalk that up to being, being, being new to the, uh, to the publishing industry. But I, uh, but the, but the men. I'm sure as, you, as soon as you put it in people's hands, it's gonna, they're gonna make those videos. Exactly, so, you know, exactly. As soon as you deliver those from the Kickstarter, it's gonna, it's gonna hit, and people are gonna start, start covering. What, what do you think, Bob? Think you think a guy like me who hasn't played an enormous number of uh, board games could pick it up and run with it? I think, I, I think you could, Brett, and I'll tell you why. I, I wrote the, 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 the instructions in the manual were written so that you could. Um, my advice at the beginning of the of the manual is skim over these instructions and then go to setup, set up the game, and then just the instructions are written turn uh, phase by phase by phase of the turn. So all you have to do is okay. In this phase, here's what I do. Now that doesn't mean you'll be doing the right things, right? <laughs> so the first time you'll probably get 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 beat pretty soundly, right? But but you'll figure out the game mechanics quickly by just going through phase by phase, and it walks you through exactly what you have to do. And I've and I've tried to break the game turns down into simple phases so that you're not overwhelmed by having to to do a bunch of complicated things each phase is very simple do this one thing reinforcement phase you do this one thing the calendar tells you what groups the germans get and you and you place them accordingly so uh tried to make it easy for someone to pick up the game and 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 play it out of the box and in the in the designer's notes in the back i give um play play advice so that the first first time player won't won't make egregious mistakes. For example, if you're playing 8th Air Force and in the first turn of January 1943, you're attacking German heavy industry uh, targets in the Ruhr, you're dead. You're dead. You're you're shot down and you're dead and you yeah. lost. <laughs> well, you know, I always tell people this about solitaire games is nobody cares if you cheat on a solitaire game. So <laughs> right. if, if you make a strategically stupid decision and you literally lose the game based on one either misunderstanding of a mechanic or maybe misunderstanding how you had to value targets versus defense layers, that's fine. Take a step back. Rebuild to what you thought the last turn was right, right. and keep going. Because I know I've sometimes hit a hurdle with solitaire games where I get caught up in trying to make the right decision instead of just play through the mechanic, and who cares? You make a wrong decision. You're you're figuring the game out. You're going to go back and play it for serious, for real. Um, you know, another time or two or three later. Yeah, so exactly. who cares? Cheat horribly. Give yourself the aircraft exactly. back. Say that you didn't lose them to the fighters. You know, and and proceed through to to ingrain the 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 right game mechanic. I remember when you said that on a previous episode, and uh, I took that to heart when I played the the game you gave me that solitaire game at. And yeah. it helped me enjoy it a lot more because I wasn't stressed out about like, you know, am I doing it right? I just needed to exercise the mechanics until I kind of figured it out. So it made, you know, the first game was just kind of a quick run through. And then the second game, I was probably more doing it right and was having a much better time with it. <laughs> I was having fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to force myself to do it with the original Hornet leader because I would open up and go, that's not how many aim sevens you carry that's not how you do this you know that's not the purpose you're not supposed to analyze the game that way just play it figure out the mechanic have fun and move on so so uh, i'm i'm looking forward to getting uh eighth air force and 20th air force in hand and and uh seeing how the mechanics work because i guess i've always wanted to play a solitaire game that modeled an air campaign well the problem is most of them either aren't solitaire or don't model air campaigns well because they cover everything else and are so complex. Um, so I, I'm really interested to, to get the copies and, and to try them. And you've already said the Kickstarter is going to end on Monday. So hopefully this podcast uh, arrives Friday, which is tomorrow for us, which means Doug will be up editing audio tonight. Uh, you're already funded. So that's a good thing. We know this is going to happen. You've, you've hit your goals. 
Um, but it's still going to go for a couple more days. See how many more uh, you can you can sell and get people to commit to. Um, so if people want to go out there and if they haven't figured it out, you can go out to Kickstarter.com and search for Eighth Air Force, uh, and it will come up. The link will also be in the in the podcast show notes in there, uh, as well as Fortress Games. Uh, what's y'all's website uh, out there? Should be pretty easy to find. <laughs> Fortress-Games.net. Awesome. Another person like me that got screwed out of using .com by somebody else. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> much like leadpursuit.net. Um, yeah, well, the people who made uh, Falcon 4.0, I don't think they're in business anymore, but someone's holding their domain name. So leadpursuit.com is uh, is taken. So yeah, head over to Fortress Games. You guys have links there, obviously, back to the Kickstarter um, and, and people can get involved in it that way. All right. So obviously people can go out and they can pick it up at Kickstarter. Did you, do you have any of them that are set aside for retail? Do you have any uh, game stores that are going to uh, host and sell your game or has everything pretty much been done through the Kickstarter? So I've got a, uh, yeah, just and a quick note on, on Kickstarter before I answer that question. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I am committed. I want people, I want this game experience to be thrilling for everyone who's involved in it. And, and as you mentioned, Doug, you're, you're, you're one of the ones who pledged. And so I, I mean that for you too. And so one of the things I've, I've, I'm trying to do is make sure this game's ready to go by Monday. So I actually have funded myself the, the printing of hundreds of games to be on the shelves. And that's why I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. We'll have that. We'll have that done. We put the, we put the map boards, the game boards and the counters, which are the longest, take the longest time to print um, in, in place about a week and a half ago. And, and we got the, uh, the manuals and the boxes and everything else is, is in and, and ready to go. And, and like I said, I, I'm happy to pre-fund it because I, I, I do want everyone to get the experience as quickly as possible. So I'm, I'm ever so hopeful, but, um, the campaign, in any case, the campaign does end on, on Monday at something like nine, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then, um, I've got an Amazon page all set up, uh, to continue, the uh, uh, selling of the game as well as additional games that I'm working on. Um, and that uh, Amazon address will be on the Kickstarter page after the Kickstarter uh, uh, campaign uh, finishes and expires. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to continue to, uh, to uh, um, uh, maintain a, a good inventory to hopefully fulfill orders quickly. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that, that, the, that the, the game will do well once it's in people's hands and, and reviewed. Um, obviously, we all, we all love our children, right? So <laughs> hopefully it's not too much um, prejudice on my own part, but I, I, I do love these. I absolutely love these games. And uh, uh, we'll continue to sell them on Amazon after the, uh, after the campaign expires. Um, so the only question I wanted to follow on is, so what's next? What's the next game in the hopper uh, post-Kickstarter? So we've got two Two games that are are, are substantially along, um, and they're also in the uh, U Command series, which is what what, what we're what, what I call the uh, these two games, where the solitaire games, where you command one side. Um, we're just about ready to release the some some pre information. So if I could uh, hold off there, Doug, I would make you this promise since we're doing this podcast when. When we're ready to release it, I, I promise to let you know <laughs> Outstanding. first. But because uh, you were nice enough to have us on this podcast before we go live with Kickstarter, so I, I promise I will. But but it'll be uh, two more games in the in the U Command uh, Solitaire series, and then we've got an additional game still in concept that will um, be a two player game, but will but will also have a rule set up for 
solitaire play. The one thing I, I, I don't like is, is, is multiplayer games that where you have to make massive compromises to play right. it as solitaire, right. right? It doesn't really work. So we've got a great concept game that is, you know, that's got a, a long way to go. It's, 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 it's nowhere near, um, anything yet but it's a concept but but we we've decided it's going to be it's going to be both it's going to have a fully functional solitaire game and then a, a, a multiplayer awesome. game cool well trevor i know you pitched in a little bit late but thanks for joining us it's always good to have uh, another marine on the show so i can outnumber brett here <laughs> any uh any questions or anything for for bob no i i kind of came to this late so i can contribute absolutely zero to this conversation um no, I I just saw saw it. That's it pretty we cool. We still love you anyway, brother. Oh shucks. Um, no, I just think it's a really cool idea. Um, I'm actually in the middle of building a model P51 from the Eighth Air Force from the blue uh, the blue nosed bastards, uh, John C. Mayer. So pretty cool uh, idea there. I'm uh, excited to potentially get it, but we'll see. Um, I haven't contributed. To, I just saw the Kickstarter today, so I don't think I'll have a chance to contribute just yet. But if you have any coming in retail, I would definitely want to jump on that. You you can always be on the Brett plan, which is Doug Doug pitches into the uh, Kickstarter, and then I send you the game because I realize I'm not going to get around to playing it for like another month. So, which reminds <laughs> me, Brett, I need I need my copy of Thunderbolt Apache. <laughs> I mean, if you happen to give any love to the Marines, just a chance. Like I know we kind of happen to fly Corsairs against the Japanese later on. If you're, I don't know if it's, in, if it's, you know, down the pipe or anything, but I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor putting in his request for the follow on air campaigns. The reco- the recovery base at Iwo Jima comes into play in the 20th air force game. So we, we you got the Marines, <laughs> the Marines count there. So if, if Doug was a good friend, he'd fire you off that copy of 20th air force. Play <laughs> yeah, right exactly. Away. <laughs> well, I might have to do that. Cause I, there's definitely no way I'm going to knock through both of them in the, uh, in the next you know months after they deliver because I'm going to be too busy moving. And Brett, I don't know what your excuse is, but I think it'll be the same. I'll trade you painting commission for that. <laughs> that sounds like a deal. <laughs> now I'll actually have some painted fighters. Uh, awesome. Well, Bob, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Brett, anything uh, else you wanted to cover in closing? No, I, I appreciate you including me on this because I like learning more about what's out there with the with the board games. I know I don't have a lot of experience with board games, but I truly did enjoy the one solitaire game I've gotten into. So I'm really interested in this one. Yeah, absolutely. This should, this should be fun. And, and Bob, I'm excited to see it, uh, when, uh, when you guys deliver copies from the Kickstarter. So thanks, Doug. Thanks very much. Thanks, Brad. We're going to, we're going to get on that, Doug. We're going to get on that as quick as we can. So I hope to be, hope <laughs> to be one of those, one of those people they talk about as being the quick delivery, uh, Kickstarter guys, instead of the ones you wait forever. We're working awfully hard to get that done. So Absolutely. Well, hey, I, I keep your fingers we'll, crossed. We'll also be the uh, the merciful podcast guys, and not everybody on you know day one of expected delivery is like, "Where's my copy of the game?" You know, we we know there's <laughs> delays, so we uh, we definitely will keep people informed, and I know you guys will do a good job keeping us informed. So I appreciate that. Well, awesome. Well, thanks everyone. I appreciate uh, taking the time for the podcast, and we'll catch up with you all next week.